Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. There are so many positives to youth sports, and unfortunately, there's a downside too. Join us as we discuss with the founders of WholeChildSports.com. Thanks for joining us. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of BoysAlive.com. As always, we appreciate you being here and we appreciate you supporting our sponsors. I think it's safe to say that we all want our kids to play sports and be active long into adulthood. Sports is a way for our kids to have fun, burn off some energy, and to develop as athletes and as people. It's why we spend so much time and energy, and let's be real, money, shepherding them through so many youth sports activities. There are so many positives about youth sports, but there's also some downside. Physical injuries and sometimes learning the wrong lessons about teamwork, cooperation, and leadership. As co-founders of WholeChildSports.com, our guests today are all about kids having wholesome, safe, and developmentally appropriate athletic experiences as they grow. Luis Fernando Yosa is a writer and an investigative reporter and youth sports consultant and the dad of five. And Scott Lancaster is an author, sports performance coach, and a dad. Welcome, Scott and Luis. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us, guys. So great to have you. You know, you were introduced to us by the third author of the book that we're going to talk about today by Kim John Payne of Simplicity Parenting. How did you three come together to write the book? And I'll say the title, Beyond Winning, Smart Parenting in a Toxic Sports Environment. Take it, Luis. I guess I'll, uh, Scott knows I love telling the story. Uh, uh, my kids go to the Rudolf Steiner School in New York City. It's a Waldorf school, uh, which means that it focuses uh, on a broad uh, approach, a holistic approach to teaching. Kids do music mandatorily. They do woodwork mandatorily. They do sewing and everything else. And they do art throughout. But they also uh, do movement activity. And Kim was uh, in New York City at the school giving a lecture on on boys and how to best uh, help them navigate uh, the too much too soon world, right? The uh, overwhelm that they experience that boys and girls do. But in this case, I think he was focusing more on on boys. And there I was with four sons and a daughter. So I'm in the crowd and I had already started occasionally appearing on Scott Lancaster's Youth Sports uh, show the ABCs of sports mm-hmm. uh, on Sirius XM. At that point, Scott, from what I know, it was either the only or one of two or three youth sports shows at all on the air. Hearing 
the way the thoughtful, soulful approach that Kim had towards raising boys in this case and being invited invited by by Scott to talk about the youth sports landscape, I I felt like these two guys had to meet and that the three of us could oh. really create a team of of understanding because while Kim has been a, a guiding light for parents across now the world, I mean, I think mm-hmm. simplicity parenting has been translated into 35 languages mm-hmm. and he travels the world consulting and changing, helping change the culture of schools. And Scott was bringing disparate people on to talk about the issues. These two men, when we sit together, the three of us, as we did when we were writing this book in Harlemville, New York, the idea is fly like you wouldn't believe. I mean, just I bet. it's Love almost it. too much. I would have to go for walks after talking in a room with these two guys because we were just firing on all cylinders and in different corners and from mm-hmm. different perspectives. You eventually caught up. You eventually caught up. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you uh, brought together the connection between parenting and sports so quickly and that this started because Kim was talking about boys, because, you know, you all have been part of this space for a while. You've been raising boys, working in sports, watching what's going on in the culture. And you know how key sports is and people are quick to point to sports as both the problem and the solution sometimes. Yeah, that's a good point. Scott? I think it's definitely a solution. It definitely raises concerns and issues um, because sport does follow society in a lot of ways. A lot of societal problems come through through sports and they're played out through sports. Um, And we talk about that in the book. And on my radio show, we talked about that. There's so many topics you could talk about when it comes to sports and youth sports in particular, uh, where it comes to playing or coaching or parenting. So there's so many different areas that it involves. Uh, that's why I think it's such um, such an important topic. But when it comes to boys, I think boys really, a lot of boys, I'm not saying all boys, but a lot of boys relate to sports. And that's where they, they garner their relationships. That's where they mm-hmm. build their relationships. That's where they learn. Um, of course, we all want them to learn at home and that sort of thing. But as a high school coach right now, I see that Probably as a as a coach, I probably do more parenting with the kids than the parents do at home. Not because I, I'm forcing that or I necessarily want to, but it's just naturally because you're teaching them life lessons on a daily basis of how to overcome adversity, how to to excel, how to improve themselves. And it's something that as parents do as well. And I would never say I would substitute myself for a parent, but I think it's a it's a great way. It's a it's another voice that these kids have, that these boys have. And we all know, and we had sons that they only listen to you, the parent, so much, if at, at all. But when it's coming from another voice and another person, um, they usually pay attention and they take that information in. So that's where that's where I think sports is so valuable and coaching is so valuable at that for for young boys. And especially at that uh, high school age, for sure, and even middle school, when you have a child mm. involved in a sports team or a sport, they're often spending lots of hours with their team and their coach. I mean, you know, from raising your own children as a parent, you don't get a lot of FaceTime then. No, <laughs> so no, you don't you have another, ideally a caring adult who's instilling good lessons about character and overcoming adversity and persistence is fantastic. As a parent who's been raising boys for 20 plus years now, 
I feel like so much of the environment, not just around sports, but society as well, is the exact opposite of what we really need to thrive as humans and for our children to thrive. And it's scary as a parent. You want your kids to get the positive aspects of sports and you don't necessarily know what they're going to be learning, what they're going to be picking up. What is the, what's the climate in that locker room? What's that coach's approach? And that's a great point. And it is one of the principal reasons why I wanted to write a book about youth sports and why Kim Scott and I are so passionate about this topic and why we formed Whole Child Sports to raise a wellness of societal ills. But societal ills is writ large. It's that one kid. And so I'll give you an example. And it's not a very, it's a pretty dark one. There's a boy. He's 16 and a half. He's a pitcher, a very, very good one in a high profile baseball mm. area in Texas. And he wants to make the varsity. He's in junior varsity. He talks to the coach at the end of the season. He has not been promoted or had an opportunity to play with the varsity, but he wants it. And he asks the coach, coach, what can I do? What do I have to do? What do I have to do to make varsity next year? The coach looks at him and he says five words. You need to get bigger. Five words. Uh, we know where this Those is going, don't we, Jen? Those five words, I feel, indirectly killed that boy. So what happened? He heard you aren't big, strong, and tough enough. So he because his father and mother would never allow for this, sought out some steroids in a gym culture where he was already working out. And he- And they weren't hard to find. They were very easy to find. You could get them on the internet or from a, from a dealer. Yeah. I believe he got his on the internet and they were couched as veterinarian drugs. So <sighs> there was a horse on the drug because that's how Alberto Saltiel Cohen, the- UC Davis veterinarian and industrialist from Mexico sent these drugs up. And I found all this out during an investigation when I was at Sports Illustrated. And this is what fueled my interest in youth sports, because here I had the four boys at home. And then I had the underbelly of society that I was investigating in Mexico, Dominican Republic, and all of the U.S. and Canada. And I was watching athletes paradigm or model the darkest of behavior, the cheating, the fraud, and kids gobbling it up, and coaches, as as uh, Scott can get into in a minute much more, coaches being the conduit for this negative messaging and mm -hmm. negative behavior. And it just hurt my heart. And it literally refocused my entire career because I'd done three steroid investigations. The third was uh, an article called Sins of the Father. And it was about, well, to backtrack, that boy got bigger. He got stronger. I think he made the varsity, but he was also taking steroids regularly and acting weird and getting a little bit enraged when he shouldn't, it just yeah. being moody. And so the parents found out, they found the bottle, they took him off steroids, they get, get, uh, sent him to a psychiatrist, psychologist as well. And of course, not knowing what they were doing, they took him off pretty much Jeez. cold turkey and he went and he oh. committed suicide, hanging oh, himself, hanging himself from the threshold of his own bedroom with three belts from within his room. It was so painful for me to stand there 
in that on that in that threshold with the father t- describing me he's famous now don hooten created a whole foundation major league baseball made him one of their spokesmen for anti-steroids he said he he spoke to me about this showed me where it happened while his wife was sitting downstairs in the kitchen after that suicide she never set foot on a single stair and never walked up to the second floor of that room but they stayed there because journalists would come and and and, and see it and people would they and then they finally moved out that's wow so i wrote an investigation about that thank and I you kept on, i kept on seeing it everywhere everywhere i scott had me on to talk about this issue frequently but the next one was sins of the father and this was the worst case that i've ever been involved with in the youth sports world uh the father started giving his son human growth hormone and testosterone at the age of I think it was 11, but I had to print 13 because that's what I could prove all the way up for a few years. And uh, when things didn't work out, the kid separated from his father. And when I started trying to get an interview, and it took me nine months to get the kid to even uh, agree to an interview, when he finally agreed and I spoke to him, I spoke to him for nine hours straight in his living room in Michigan. His father was living uh, in Tampa, uh, north of Tampa, but his father was living in a jail cell. Mm. Mm. he's the first ever parent to be jailed for for uh providing his child with steroids wow to my knowledge he's the only one boy was that a case anyway i sat there with a broken human a kid who had tried his best to be what his dad wanted him to be to connect to get that feeling of love and connection and care from the person who's the most important model to him in the world and that dad, I believe, and I'll say it, I don't care what he says or does, is a, it was a sociopathic person who mm-hmm. only cared about himself and was using his son and hoping that his son, who was an inline skater, in other words, a racing skater, yeah. he, he hoped that he would then switch like Apollo Ono did to skating, I believe, and become an Olympic champion. Anyway, mm-hmm. broken dreams, broken kid. I haven't caught up with him recently, but I think he's doing okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, between those two stories and some other stuff that I saw, I I wanted to do this with Scott, with Kim. Mm-hmm. And that story came out in 09. The book came out in 13, 2013. Mm-hmm. And it also led to this other book that I wrote with Kim called Emotionally Resilient Tweens and Teens, which just, ca- just came out in August. The reason I mention it is because bullying, harassment, entitlement, we have a whole chapter that Scott, Kim, and I wrote in, in Beyond Winning focuses on how improperly sports can be taught to kids to, so that yes. they become bullies, harassers, and entitled kids. Scott had some great uh, suggestions for that chapter. And so just, just go ahead, Scott, and tell us a bit about what happens in that sports culture and why it can lead even to uh, so much bad bullying that you have school shooters. I mean, it's a direct line. A direct line. Well, there, it's no secret that sports and youth sports, uh, we talk about it more and more now in society, the mental illness that is pervasive mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. in sports, right? That is pervasive in culture, for one. Correct, yeah. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I want to make clear, it's not just sports. No, no. Yeah, as we talk about sports today, it's it's become now, it has seeped down to the youth level in a major way. Yep. Um, and it probably was always there. It's now we're more aware of it and mm-hmm. what coaches can do. And we talk a lot about it in beyond winning 
But what coaches do is they destroy a lot. Not all coaches. I, I, as a coach, I can't say. I can't paint with a broad brush. brush. So there's plenty of great coaches out there doing a lot of great things. But there are some coaches that will destroy a child's um, self-confidence. They'll destroy. They, they, they cannot become um, basically a, a, a successful human being after their experience with a coach because they have sort of broken them down to the point where they are afraid to succeed. And I, I coach a lot of kids where that's a big thing. They're afraid to succeed. There's so many different issues of why that is. And one of them is because of our overwhelming desire to win placed everything on winning a game or winning a championship rather than developing the athlete, developing a team, and really then let the winning happen as it may. But people have to start to reconsider, I think, from this, this goes back to the mental illness part of it. They have to reconsider what sports is all about. And is the sports about winning a game? Is it about winning a championship? Or is it about, especially at the youth low, is it about developing a child? And really make and bringing them through stages and, and not, not only physically, but also emotionally. And how do you emotionally um, handle certain situations? Because in sports, as we were talking about earlier, there's a lot of situations that come up are perfect in, in life, whether that be adversity, whether it be how do you overcome certain things when you're not chosen, when, when, you, when you're not playing well. I've had great players that are stars on the team that are depressed really depressed. And, and when you go to talk to them, I said, why are you so, why, what's wrong? And they'll come back and basically they won't talk to you that much. They don't want it. They don't want to admit it, but you can, you get it out of them eventually. And it's because I don't feel like I'm doing well enough. I'm never doing well yeah. enough. And that mm -hmm. can come from the home, it can come from the parent, it can come from a coach, it can come from their friends. They feel this incredible peer pressure to perform. And I think that's on us as parents. I think it's on us as coaches and it's on us as a society and sports to try to alleviate that and really try to reposition sports as you, you can improve yourself as a person and as an athlete. And it's done in stages. It's not all about a championship or a win, which are meaningless at the end of the day. What they really are is building blocks for later in life. But we destroy those building blocks so they can no longer climb up them because of what we do as coaches and as a sport or as, or as peers in a sport or as teammates. So sitting here outside of this world, because my kids did not play sports and I'm not into sports. When you talk about taking the emphasis off of winning, all I can think about right now at this time of year is it's the Super Bowl. And I mean, the societal, cultural. And DraftKings is, is advertising to my children now. And you're telling me it's not about winning. Now my kids got money on the game. It's, so I'm thinking about especially the moms out there who have a kid in mid-elementary school or going into middle school. And, and this all sounds great. Actually, part of it sounds really scary because of the dark side. How do you know, how do I know as that mom that that coach is going to be imparting those lessons to my boy? Because a lot of times I'm not at practice. How do I, how do I de-emphasize winning? Because when a whole culture is playing it up. To win or not to win? That's the question we'll be addressing after these messages from our sponsors. I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits. And I hate shopping. 
Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash envoys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet, but a lot of us don't like to take vitamins because we don't like swallowing pills. How do you feel about that, Janet? There's some days that I look at my vitamins and go, yeah, I should take those. I'll do it later. But I'll tell you what's changed. I have gotten easy melt vitamins. I have the D3 and I have the B12s and a multivitamin. And I just pop them in my mouth and they dissolve. And I don't have to think about swallowing a vitamin. Yeah, and you don't necessarily need water either to have on hand to get this big vitamin now. Yeah, no. And they taste good. And they're sugar-free. They melt quickly. The reason they melt is because of plants, not chemicals. Ah, plant-based nutrition. For a limited time only, you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash envoys. That's Try, T-R-Y dot Easy Melts, E-Z-M-E-L-T-S dot com forward slash envoys. Those are great uh, questions. And here's the thing. We wrote Beyond Winning very specifically in a format that would help every parent with any question that they had. That doesn't mean that Scott and I and Kim don't come up with new questions because parents are always asking us, consulting constantly. So we actually have enough new, important, emblematic questions for a whole nother book, right, Scott? I mean, easily. Yeah. There had been a host of other books before us about how bad things are in sports. It's It's been a common refrain for three yep. decades, right? But what we said when we looked at all the books is that there were very few, I'm not going to say there were none, but there were very few that provided solutions and so the entire book, apart from at the beginning of each chapter, there being an anecdote about a real story, although we changed names, of some parent and kid dynamic or some kid under too much pressure, some kid wanting, hoping, praying and dreaming about being in a car crash with his dad so that they would wake up in a hospital and just be able to hang out and connect. 
instead of driving to the tournament. I mean, this is how sight deeply into the psyche it gets, right? But yeah. the point is, we have things to your question, like a whole sheet of how to choose a good coach for your kid. But even before that, how to choose a good sport for your kid. Because very simply, if your child mm. is an introvert and shy and still kind of feeling, in this case, a boy, his way into friendships, not the gregarious kid who you just raced into kindergarten saying, mom, leave me alone or bye, mom, <laughs> see you whenever. Yep. But the other kind, the kind that hung back, wouldn't mm -hmm. enter. There are kids whose mom actually sits in the corner in some schools, they allow this, in the corner of the room for an hour and a half each day. And then the, the mom tries to slip out. <laughs> but then maybe the kid sees it and she doesn't. Yep. And in one case, I know of a kid who they said, he, we just don't feel he's ready. It's too traumatic. Come back in six months. And then they did and it worked better. Mm -hmm. Still a tough transition, right? But this is a kind of introvert who will not in any way, shape or form benefit from you throwing him into a soccer team or throwing him onto a basketball team. Because first of all, they may be insecure physically. That's a separate thing, but it's part of it. But they may just be emotionally not ready to fail mm -hmm. in front of other kids, to succeed in front of other kids, to show other kids that they're not very coordinated or just to be with other kids. So what do you do with that kid? Well, as we say in this book, you provide them other opportunities. You, you go for a hike with them. You give them a bike and they learn how to do biking or as they really, really get into things, they can go climbing. Mm -hmm. But there are so many individual sports that self-affirm and that where you can develop. And then you invite one other kid on the hike, one kid from the school, and you see how that works. And if it works well, a friendship starts to form. Or if your kid is really introverted, you bring cousins along who they actually see in another setting. There's mm -hmm. so many ways to do this but you know your child. So apply that and find the right coach. And I know it's very hard because, and Scott and I have talked about this ad nauseum, in small towns, there may be one sport, one coach. Mm -hmm. Well, then you have to figure <laughs> yep. something out. Scott, remember when we wrote about, it was something that you brought to the table about, there was a group of parents and they didn't like the, the league and, and it wasn't working out and it was too competitive and, and too negative. So they created their own like seven or eight dads and moms got together and created their own little league. And it was fun. And, you know, and you can do that in any sport, you know, if you're in a town that only has a few thousand people or 10 or 20,000 people, and the sports are way too winning oriented and way too negative command oriented functioning coaching, you can just form your own thing and people do it. In fact, a gentleman by the name of Mike Lanza created his own playborhood and wrote a book about it because he didn't like what he was seeing out there. Of course, his situation was a little bit nice. He had cashed out on some stock and had had some time, but he created an entire neighborhood cool spot out of his backyard and front yard. And then if you build it, they will come. Kids can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they had a great time. But he made sure not to be there telling them what to do. And if the kids would run in and say, Dad, uh, broke the swing. He'd be like, well, can you fix it? No, well, then find something else to do. In other words, he wasn't trying to superimpose rules and structure. Yes. And Scott, can, Scott can talk to you more about that. But the issue of, of too soon command-oriented coaching, it kills everything. It kills flexibility. It kills self-development. It retards creativity and the development of resilience. Scott, All right. Just I am maybe for the first time 
seeing this tremendous connection and overlap between what I have been seeing, feeling in education for years and sports. For a period of time, uh, my family, we, we're we one of those people in small town, couple thousand people. We don't have a lot of options for sports or for school. It's not like I have a multitude. We opted out. We homeschooled. Too much direct instruction was killing creativity, inhibiting my kids, and it was an option at that time. What I hear you saying, and I've not heard other people say this, opt out. You can opt out. You always have the option to opt out. You don't have to participate in systems that don't work for your family, don't work for your kid. You can find, you can create other things. And if I'm hearing you correctly, and and Scott, I'd love to hear your input on this too, as a coach, kids don't need to learn sports the way everybody thinks that you need to learn sports. Yeah. I would say it's almost the opposite. In coaching, I always do take an approach that is more, I'd say, organic. I break it down and I'll teach an athlete how to run. Now, some people may think that's crazy. Everybody knows how to run. Well, no, a lot of people don't know. And most people don't know how to run. I feel like I would like you to show me that because I'm not sure (laughs) I ever, I mean, they think this is part of my issue. Scott, actually, when he trains boys and girls, the moms hire him to train them. (laughs) Right? Not to jump too far off of it, but I think it's related is that running is the essential skill of run skills behind running and running has a ton of skills behind it. And I always say speed is a skill and everybody wants to get faster. I've never met anybody that said I want to get slower, but when you, in order to get faster, you have to incorporate all these components of skills then. And it's a, it's a process and you have to practice them. It's like learning a golf swing. It's like learning, learning a tennis, how to play tennis, but it's a basic, what everybody thinks is like, I, I don't know, a human right that everybody knows how to run and everybody should be able to run. And But that's just not the case. But the freedom of learning how to run better and how to get faster is what, what I have found is the single most confidence builder in athletes. There's nothing better to get, see yourself and feel yourself get faster and, and, and to feel the fluidity of running the correct way and being able to change direction and being that, that it's almost it's it's. It's freedom. It's it's sort of a um, I don't know. It's that free flow that you create, and just like when you're on a bike as a kid, when you remember riding and the the, the the wind's blowing in your face, and you just you love that sensation, and that you can go faster, you can slow down, go over jumps. That's that's running too. And if you do it correctly, you could have a whole lifetime of experiences and fun in sports or just in general. And it builds you up and it builds you up as physically so that you can overcome certain things later in life Mm -hmm. and you stay active because you enjoy it. And so I think that's what sports does. And I'd like to go back to to your thought process on the NFL because I worked for the NFL for 12 years. And I was I was right in the belly of the beast. I sat and I, I reported directly to Roger Goodell. We were a marketing monster. Our single focus was make money, make money for the owners. You have 32 owners and they are highly successful. They're they're you know titans of their industry. And they yeah. come down, they become and they become owners of the NFL. And some some mean well by it, some don't. That's where the gambling comes in. They never wanted to talk about gambling at the NFL for a good reason, because they're like, that's organized crime. That means organized crime is involved in our sport. Well, in fact, hmm, it happened. It's happened. And you know what? So they got smart. 
and they started to welcome gambling into it through fantasy leagues, through DraftKings. And so when you welcome it in, you sort of take the bad element out. Now, everybody can be involved in it. There's no, there's no more of a dark side to it. You don't have to go to a bookie necessarily anymore. So they opened it up. That was smart. But it's all about money. I think the main thing with kids, when you ask that question, have we really glamorized it to the point where kids are so now engrossed in gambling or, you know, the results and that sort of thing. I I always go back to like kids should not play adult games. It is the worst development process you could actually put your kids in front of to force them to play a sport like an adult professional athlete does. And believe me, Louise and I have seen it. Kim has seen it. We, we put kids in and expect them to perform for us. Mm-hmm. We're, we sit back in our lawn chairs and we think they, they should perform for us. Well, yeah. they're not, they're not puppets. They're not, they're not like you're not going to see a spectator sport as a, as a youth parent, sports parent, but you're there to see the development and the, and their awareness improve and all the other physical attributes and the emotional attributes. Scott, I wish that you could just give that two line speech to every parent in every gathering that we have before every sport it's the parent meeting but people don't say that and i have been at the sidelines of you know so many sports and you guys have too and you hear about it even more than i do you know the parents behaving badly and yeah somehow you're expecting like nfl level football out of high school football players i mean this is totally unreasonable expectation out of eight-year-olds yes who they train to do bull in the ring and other things that actually concuss them. And that still happens today in some places, even yes. though there's a, a huge awareness. We'll be back in a moment for more about the book Beyond Winning and Youth Sports. Stay tuned. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet. But a lot of us don't like to take vitamins because we don't like swallowing pills. How do you feel about that, Janet? There's some days that I look at my vitamins and go, yeah, I should take those. I'll do it later. But I'll tell you what's changed. I have gotten easy melt vitamins. I have the D3 and I have the B12s and a multivitamin. And I just pop them in my mouth and they dissolve. And I don't have to think about swallowing a vitamin. Yeah, and you don't necessarily need water either to have on hand to get this big vitamin now. Yeah, no, and they taste good. And they're sugar-free. They melt quickly. The reason they melt is because of plants, not chemicals. Ah, plant-based nutrition. For a limited time only, you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash onboys. That's try, T-R-Y dot easymelts, E-Z-M-E-L-T-S dot com forward slash onboys. But I want to make a point about Beyond Winning the book, chapter eight of Beyond Winning. Beyond Winning, a new paradigm for youth sports competition. We wrote this 2013. It's all in there. How you can do things differently as an administrator, as a coach, how you can play games differently. Scott has thousands of ideas. Kim wrote a book called 
games children play about younger kids, there's a whole continuum of development. And there's a way to do this. It's not rocket science. There are solutions. We have them all. We are revamping our website so it'll be uh, more easy for parents to do this. And you said you wish that all of us were talking to parents about this. Well, we are. I just gave a talk to 89 uh, parents at the school where A-Rod played his baseball, Alex Rodriguez, mm. who almost married Jennifer Lopez. So one of the Astro Astro guys. And and at Westminster. You got to love that, you know, A-Rod had all his athletic accomplishments, but we also have to add in, he almost married J-Lo. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. It's better than a World Series. <laughs> it, 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 there is a lot more awareness coming. Scott, Kim, and I, we hear, we hear the footsteps. People are getting more serious. The Aspen Institute is. Uh, Megan Bartlett with her Center for uh, for Justice uh, and Healing Through Sport. It's happening. I'm doing a talk to five different schools, Waldorf schools in San Francisco in October. Uh, Scott's beginning to talk. His book, Fair Play, sales have jumped. Sales of Beyond Winning have jumped, even though these are these are books that were written a decade ago. So the awareness is there, and we at Hold Child Sports are really standing on our soapbox but there's another important point because you brought this up there's another chapter in here we title you are your child's first coach Mm. because you are if you as a parent are taking the responsibility to shepherd them through their educative life as people you're modeling education for them you're picking a school for them or you're supplementing the school you'd better be concerned about doing the exact same thing to their athletics and here's another thing. You say your daughters never experienced sports. So not that you were implying this, but what did they do? Were they painters? Were they musicians? Oh, what they were they? Waldorf students for one thing. So they did all I, those things. And right. uh, my oldest was a dancer. She was and did, did, she, ballet. did she dance competitively? No, Mm-mm. no okay. competition. That, well, my point, maybe it doesn't apply to you specifically because of your background in education as a teacher and as a Waldorf parent. But I'll have a parent say to me, well, you know, my boy, he wants to play hockey and we haven't found good stuff. My girl's OK, though, because she's a she plays the piano. Mm-hmm. Uh, hold on a second. Mm-hmm. Or my little guy's OK. The youngest is OK because he builds Legos. Mm-hmm. Well, hold on. You want to go see how they treat kids in piano competitions mm-hmm. and how some of the coaches, the piano teachers instill really negative reinforcement in that world? It's everywhere. The mentoring has to Yes, it is. Yeah. The mentoring has to be sports, right? And one thing, (laughs) this is something that Scott brought to the forefront of my mind years ago and why we focused on it pretty uh, sharply in Beyond Winning. And at least when I talk about it, I always mention this, the issue of creativity and the issue of, of learning through failure and of spending time with others who are peers who help you learn because every problematic kid that I've ever coached and I've coached for 27 years, mostly soccer, but other stuff. Every time I have a kid who's too good for school, too better. I'm the best. Everybody sucks. I don't even want to be on this team. I make him an assistant coach. Mm. And then he learns empathy. If he can't do it with his peers, because he's so like, he's created a negative force field around him with all his friends on the team that are no right. longer friends. Then I have him coach little kids because a little kid, if you're mean to him because he didn't get the drill and and and, and knew how, know how to do the thing perfectly immediately, we'll start crying. Yep. And how do you think that super aggressive, I'm the best in the world kid feels when he makes 
a little kid cry bad yeah. until he learns empathy. And then he's nicer to his own teammates. But Scott, talk a little bit about this whole world that you were very plugged into, which was extreme sports and uh, how they learn creativity. How did how they learn? Some of the purest sports and purest sports athletes and some of the best athletes in the world are action sport athletes. Action sports are skateboarding, snowboarding, surfing, individual sports that mm. have a little bit more uh, danger applied to them, a little more risk applied to them. But creativity is at the core of it. It's you're not judged by a scoreboard. You don't keep necessarily score. You do. You, there are scores kept, but it's more about subjective. How you how you uh, executed that particular trick or how you executed mm. that fundamental. And I am a big believer that team sports would do much better if we went that route. If we were able to celebrate fundamentals, the execution of fundamentals and break it down, kids would learn more, they'd learn faster, and they'd enjoy it. And they would find their strengths and their weaknesses much, much faster. And it's a great coaching tool. And I had created something called Trick It Out Sports, which is breaking down the fundamentals of every every team sport into tricks. And then you, then you, you track them. Yeah. And then you track it was like being a skateboarder, but now you're on a baseball field or now you're on a soccer field. And that soccer field became that half pipe that the yeah. skateboarders would use. The half pipe to me is one of the most best kept secrets in sports, because when you go to a half pipe, either at a snow park or at a skate park, you will see kids gathering from all over of all colors, of all shapes of female, male whomever they are, old and young, and all work together. And there's no, there's not a coach there with a whistle or somebody commanding you to do things. You coach yourself, but you also have the assistant. Your assistant coaches are all your peers. And you, you feed off of each other, and you, you watch them, and you, watch, and you learn by watching, and you get feedback from them, and they give you tips. All, almost to the point, because I interviewed uh, Sean White. It's up on our site, Whole Child Sports. And he gave a great three-part interview with us. And he said, he gives us, he's hilarious, but he gave us great stories about how he would show up to a half pipe and he'd end up coaching because he was just drawn to it because kids would be like, oh my God, it's Sean White, it's Sean White. I can't believe Sean White's here. To the point where he showed up one day, right? And he's, he's looking around, is at a park and they were putting balloons up and he's like, wow, what's going on here? And, and so all of a sudden he goes, this car comes and another car comes and kids start piling out of these vans. And what it is, it's a birthday party. And they come running out like, oh, my God, you had Sean White at your birthday party? <laughs> <laughs> Best birthday party ever. <laughs> Yeah. So he goes, I ended up in the middle. He goes, but I had cake. Believe me, I had some cake. So <laughs> that's the spirit of an action sport athlete, an extreme athlete. And I learned more about it during the X Games and the birth of the X Games when they first started coming out in the 80s. And so I started to share and also started to sort of take a lot of what they do and started to apply it to, to team sports. And I had a lot of experience and a lot of success working with my athletes, doing that type of training mm -hmm. and that those type of experiences. The point is you can readapt a sport to fit your needs as a parent. It doesn't have to be done the traditional way. Best unused part of your life as a, as a sports parent is your backyard. If you have one or the park, Go out there and recreate things. Make it fun. It's up to you to do it. We have those solutions and those suggestions in our book, Beyond Winning, and on our website, Whole Child Sports. But it works, and kids love it because kids are cra craving for creativity and craving yes. for different things to do. Yeah. And then the basis for that, by the way, in fair play, right, Scott, and also in the Athletic Fitness for Kids, there are plenty of examples of what you can do. Like, here's your backyard. Scott has a 
he'll have a two by four and he'll put it, uh, you know, another two by four, another direction. And now he's, your kid is walking on that and learning balance for sport. And, and then for Kim, Kim has games, children play, and he's come out with three new versions of the book. And in them are the kinds of old school, old timey, mm-hmm. really fun, but developmentally extremely appropriate games like Foursquare and just games with strings and jump rope and all this stuff that is there. And in some towns, it's still there. It's always been there. But in many, it's they've been lost. And you can just go back to them. And basically, you are your child's first coach. You're the steward of your child's athletic development, boy or girl. And you're responsible for carefully choosing the appropriate coach. And the key of all of this, and it's a key for broader life, is look to find a coach who is goes a little bit beyond ego-driven. Because mm-hmm. coaches who are ego-driven do the most damage. They don't mm-hmm. even need to. They're just so focused on, I'm a coach here. I want to be a coach there. And then I want to be a coach there. Then I want to coach in college. And so they do everything in order to win. Their kids are not kids who are there training and helping grow and learn. They're kids who are they using as chess pieces on a mm-hmm. board game of their own making for their own status and profit. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about a, a mom that is, I'm a family coach, the other kind of coach, the talking kind of coach. And she, her son is super athletic and he's uh, maybe 12, 13, loves baseball, but he also loves soccer and he also loves basketball. And so he's just driven to do all of these sports. And I, I want to point out because on your website, I loved this. You've got a, a PDF that's 10 tenants of a whole youth sports experience. This is awesome. And I encourage every parent to go to, go there and download, but talk about the kid who wants to play more than one sport. And how to guide them in a healthy way because it's hard on their physical development. They're, they're still growing. Yeah, we've seen so many injuries, especially in my field of athletic development and speed and agility training, where kids come, they're one-dimensional, and that produces injuries. There's no doubt. There's there's overuse injuries, and then there's the, there's the injury of the mind, there's the injury of boredom, there's the injury of being burnt out, mm-hmm. and that hurts as well. That hurts just as much sometimes as the physical injury, because when you get hurt, Okay, I'll take female athletes when they get hurt, they're destroyed psychologically a lot of times because that was their image. That's what who they mm-hmm. were. And that's what they were building and, and, and sort of relying on. And so when that goes away, and it happens with boys too, I'm not just saying it, boys, it happens just as much. But when you're going through that, you've got to be able to have be that resilient type of person, but that comes through sports. And that comes from building building the whole experience the entire experience and it's not just being good at one thing and not another when specializing in sports is one of the worst things that has ever happened i was mentored by bill walsh who is a three-time super bowl champion um a legend and i spent a lot of time with bill and bill was the largest proponent of playing multiple sports and he would he would encourage his pros to do that still do it and he he would look at an athlete when he's trying to recruit them when he's at stanford and if they didn't play multiple sports he had less interest in them he said you're the most likely less athletic i need somebody that could do number of things and what's the the athlete today that really 
sort of uh, is the example of that is Patrick Mahomes. He can do so many things on the football field. He's like a magician out there, but that's what I'm talking about. That's creativity. That's the physical development of being able to do things, not the way you're supposed to be doing it, but the way you like to do it, the way you love to do it. And I think the other element of sport that's lost today is joy. We have taken joy out of sports. And when you look at the most successful athletes in the world, and they'll say, what is that secret sauce? Because I enjoy doing it. It's fun. Joy, joy, joy. I have, I get joy out of this. And if you take that away, which we do so many to so many young athletes, then it's over. It's over. Your development stops it, or it gets really stunted. The growth of it gets stunted. Because if you can't go out there and love it every day, then you're not going to have the fortitude to be able to get it done and be able to learn and to advance. And that's life, right? you got to love going to work every day. If hopefully if you're lucky enough to find the job that really is a passion for you. So when you can, when your vocation becomes your vacation, then that, then, you know, you've really accomplished something. And that's where I think that kids, us developing kids that way and letting them see progress and see success is, is probably the most important thing in uh, that comes out of sports and for boys in particular, because they're fi- they're trying to find their identity. There's so many boys that play sports, right? How do I identify myself as someone who's important, somebody that has advanced or how, how do I get my self-awareness up to where I feel good about myself and not, and not have to be like everybody else? I mean, we all want to be individuals. We all want to accomplish things, right? So I think that boys, rather than and what I do with my boys on my teams, are we don't talk about wins. We don't talk about victories. We talk about accomplishments because accomplishment is a lot different. All right. Accomplishment embodies a lot. So what did we accomplish today? And we celebrate those and we will celebrate failures because you know what? If we failed, we're learned. We learned. We didn't lose today. We learned today. And so you you bring those types of ideals to young boys. They start to rethink the way they look at something. And I think that's important for the rest of their lives. To add to that in chapter four, which to me is my favorite chapter that we wrote, it's called the power of play. And it, it goes to everything that Scott just said and to some of the questions that you had earlier, because play is critical. Play is about fun. Play is about exploration. Mm-hmm. It's about boundaries and pushing them. But what is play? There are different types of play at different ages. There's imaginative fan, fan, phantasmagoric play. There's unstructured play, completely unstructured. There's semi-structured play. And there's play. And then there's organized sports play. You don't want to funnel your kid into hyper command oriented, organized sport at an early age. It will curtail their creativity, damage their perspective, potential resilience, hamper them in developing social skills with others and perhaps create entitlement monsters, which is already a problem with kids anyway in the outer world. But when you take them and, and, and have them wear their special jersey at school and they're mm-hmm. separate from everybody, then you can get along the continuum to absolute exclusion and a complete sort of separation and isolation of kids who don't participate in sports and they feel lesser and they're treated lesser. But the key in play is, is that don't push your kid too early into sports and everything in the culture i know you're thinking this right now because you were the one who brought the issue up before uh jennifer is that everything out there is 
to look like a pro when you're six, to train like a pro. Scott and I, when whenever we walk around anywhere in the country, we see like the six-year-old. I've seen a four-year-old, but Scott's seen umpteen kids like this too. And they have a professional trainer, somebody yep. who charges 100 to $150 an hour with a four-year-old I saw in Central Park. But more, more often it's with a six and eight-year-old and they're training them. It's too early. Scott doesn't train six and eight-year-olds in how to run. They're they're learning how to run. It's when they're, what, what do you say, Scott, 12, 13, 14, that one can really start pointing them in a direction? Yeah, it's when they're physically immature. When they're starting to mature, you can start mm-hmm. to have an impact on You want to catch them right before puberty, catch them right before that. They can develop their physical skills as they're developing their bodies. And so it melds ah. together. And that's when the confidence builds too. Everything builds. But that's a critical time period for any child is right prior to that um, uh, puberty, and then and then after too. Because now I've reached puberty. Because you can't reach everybody before puberty. Now I'm a little uncoordinated and a little unsure of myself. I used to be yeah. a good athlete. Now I'm not because I don't, I don't know how to control my body and all those sort of things. So you know what? That plays into it. And a good coach can overcome that and can build them back up. And show them the way that they do have now new tools to work with. And how how do you take that? And you now have newfound strength. And now you have all that type of things. I mean, we, we could talk for days about this stuff. Yeah, I mean, even we strength could. Training. Strength training to me is one of the worst things as a coach that I see with my players. Because now, where were you today? I was in the weight room. I have to do everything to control myself, to, to you know, to tell them not to go. But, I mean, I'm not, I would never do that. But. Strength training is now lifting weights is, is one of the biggest deterrents to athletic development out there right now. And a lot of my friends are strength and conditioning coaches. The smart ones know that. The smart ones know that there's a different way and a better way to do it. But that strength training leads to all the other stuff, the steroids and all that stuff. Absolutely. So, oh, my gosh. Yes. So. You guys, this is a great conversation. <laughs> Jen and I, I are both like chomping at the bit to ask more. And I hope we can have you back. Sure. Uh, sure. I'm, I'm game. Every one of the topics we touched on, and they were probably 12 or 15, could be a show in and of itself. I Scott and I have, have, and Kim have like been through it all and, and are trying to provide solutions for parents in these areas. Well, and, and the overarching uh, the overarching phrase that keeps coming to mind is is what Kim has spoken about for years is too much too soon. Listeners, Absolutely. I hope what you are hearing here is there is another way. I know that the culture around you is saying, get your kids in sports early. You need to do the travel team. You need to spend a lot of money, high stress, high pressure, a lot of money. I know because I have sat next to you at events. I know a lot of you wonder, is this worth it? You know, you feel trapped. You don't have to to do it. And it's not just me telling you this. Scott and Louise know sports. They know athletic development. They know physical development. They are telling you, you can opt out of that, not spend as much money, have more fun, and get better results. And one thing we haven't even touched on, and we can't today, but it's huge, especially for a lot of parents in today's society, not just the mental uh, health component and the wellness component, but recently I convinced a father of a kid who was very talented at baseball, but was an ADHD kid, like pretty hardcore, and therefore didn't 
didn't uh, look like he was listening to a young coach who thought he yeah. was listening. The coach did not choose the best player. He chose the second and third best, and there were three who were thick as thieves. They were great friends, these three boys. He chose not to choose them because he thought he was a difficult kid. He's not a difficult kid. He's ADHD. And if you as a coach have been taught how to how to work with a kid like that, you can't leave the other 15 kids alone while you go and work with that kid. Of course, teachers know this about the difficult kid or the complex kid or the learning disabled kid. That's all fine. But there are ways that you can set them up to succeed while having other things happen with the rest of the team and then bring them into it. We have not talked about kids with deep trauma. We have not kept talked yeah. again about kids with ADHD. We have not talked to about autistic kids, kids who are at risk from broken homes and the ways that sport can help them, whether it's equine therapy, whether it's bringing them into a team and teaching them values, whether it's mentoring them and modeling what it is to be a young, healthy man. Mm -hmm. Because the coach is their model for that, mm -hmm. just like dad is. And if there's no dad because of the home situation, the coach can really help. And so if a mom is looking for that good paradigm, she needs to spend a lot of time figuring out who the right coach is mm -hmm. for her son. Your book is Beyond Winning, Smart Parenting in a Toxic Sports Environment. We will list Scott's books on the, the show notes. And I encourage parents, if your son is five or 15, get these books, get Scott's books, Fair Play and Athletic Fitness for Kids. And talk about them with other parents. You are not the only parent in your community who's looking around going, this is this is crazy, right? Is this crazy? Yeah. There are other people looking for solutions. And if you don't talk about it, you're not going to find an alternative. If you talk about it, the sky is the limit. What can happen? And also... <laughs> Don't forget the book, Emotionally Resilient Tweens and Teens, Empowering Your Kids to Navigate Bullying, Teasing, and Social Exclusion. You two, along with Kim John Payne, are a wealth of inspiration and knowledge. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. It's been a pleasure to have you, and I look forward to having you back. Thank you very much. Love to be back. Love talking about it. Thank you. Uh, thank you, guys. I'm so glad you gentlemen are doing the work that you are doing. This is the most hopeful that I have felt about youth sports in, you know, a decade. Thank you. So many great resources here. If you are involved in youth sports as a coach, as a parent, as a teacher, be sure to check out all of the books that are listed in the show notes. If you found this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. And thank you, too, for supporting our sponsors. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast, and we are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of BoysAlive.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.